Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So what you're about to hear is a Patreon show that was released back on September 3rd of this year. And I was looking for one that I could make public. And uh, one of my patrons suggested this one. And I think it's as good as any to make public. So you get an idea of what you would... uh, get on a regular basis if you become a patron and help support the show this is a conversation i had with uh tim renner after we had talked about his where the footprints end volume one book and it just kind of went where it went so uh if you want to become a patron go to where did the road go.com and click on the patreon link and you get a number of shows like this over the course of the month for as little as three dollars so this is a Patreon segment uh, with Mr. Timothy Renner. Hi, Tim. Hello. So I had a, a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about, and uh, let's see. I had made a note here. Your your book definitely spawned some interesting things in my brain. Um, okay, so one of the things, I don't know which chapter it was. You guys, Did you lick the pages? Did I lick the pages? Yeah. A little. Not all yeah. of them. That'll definitely uh, fire your brain, for sure. <laughs> special ink we use. Ah, that's what that was. <laughs> um, so, like, there's, uh, like, the missing time thing, for example. Mm-hmm. There was, an, you know, I, I don't know if it was in one of your chapters or Josh's chapters, but a bunch of, like, like, someone was out and they saw a bunch of things crawling toward them, like little hairy mm-hmm. things crawling toward them, and then they just have this missing time experience. And what always sticks with me when it comes to our experience of time is something that Seth said, which was time moves based on how much our brain can process at one point. Hence why time flies when you're busy or doing something you enjoy, whereas if you're just sitting around, time just seems to slow to a crawl. Mm-hmm. It's like processing speed. of uh, Time is like our brain's processing speed. So is it possible when we're having one of these encounters – it is more than our brain can deal with processing-wise, and it's it's making time move much, much faster. I, it's quite possible. It, it, these are oftentimes very shocking events for people. Very, you know, upsetting sometimes, sometimes life-changing, sometimes amazing. But uh, they're certainly not common experiences. So, yeah, you know, absolutely that could be happening. And that, that it just it just struck me when I heard that, and I'm thinking, huh. Like, and it might get to a point where our processing, our brain's processor just can't handle it. Yeah. And that might be where there's a jump or just like a dream where we're entering a different state of consciousness at that point, you know, that we aren't necessarily going to be able to recall clearly when we get back to a normal consciousness. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Wes from Sasquatch Chronicles, his, his account with his brother, um, you know, he, he will tell you outright that they shouldn't have gotten home. Like they got home at like four in the morning or something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's no way. He's like, we, it wasn't, we were only there for a little while, you know? 
and then we we came home like hours late and uh you know to me that makes me believe his account even more you know what i mean like, right, the, right the fact that he has that like little weird detail that they throw in there you know cuz otherwise it's his account basically they saw a bunch of creatures like at, several like like at one time and uh got growled at i believe and and you know they were in their car and, and saw you know a, a bunch of creatures on top of a mountain, I think, in, in Washington State, and very frightening um, account. But um, that missing time element that he added to it, to me, that's like that's that's a very convincing thing to me that he puts that in there. And I think a lot of flesh and blood guys would say, no, that makes it less believable. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, when you were doing the chapter on the invisible Bigfoot, that might have been Josh. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure you know plenty about Invisible Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, my, my initial objection to the Invisible Bigfoot thing from the beginning was, okay, we don't know if this thing exists, and yet we're ascribing other things that we have, don't see in nature to it. Because we, mm -hmm. we don't see things, I mean, we see things that can blend into the background. But that's different from Invisible. Right. You know, chameleons blend into their background. They're they're essentially invisible, but they're not actually invisible. Mm -hmm. They're just melding into, you know, what's around them. And I think you even talk about, like, Bigfoot turning into tree stumps that uh, you'll cover in the next volume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it didn't, isn't the, the picture on the back of your first book something like that? Like a tree I mean, stump that wasn't there? I mean, it certainly looks... Kind of like that, yeah. Um, it, you know, people have said it looks like a dog demon and all this other stuff. I don't know what it was. The only, like I said, the only thing I can tell you is, I took that photo. It looked weird. It looked like something, you know, something with eyes and and features. And I went back, and there's nothing there. You know, in, in the place where I took that photo. So, you know, what is? I don't know what it is. You know, it it does. If there was a stump there, I could have believed it was a stump. You know what I mean? Right, but there was but no stump when there. When I went back to take the pictures, it was just there's nothing there. So, and what I, it was, I I cannot tell you. When I read that book the first time, because uh, you mentioned it in the book, right? Mm hmm. Sure. Okay. Because I, I remember the first time, I couldn't remember if you were just talking about it or if it was in the book. Um, but I remember thinking, okay, this guy thinks correctly about this stuff. <laughs> you know, you're not denying it, but you're not just going with, that's what it is. It's Bigfoot, you know? Right, right. Well, that, that picture sells that book, by the way, on the back cover. <laughs> really? People pick, oh yeah, people pick it up and I'll see them look at it and they'll turn over and they'll see that back and they go, ooh, and then they buy it. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. That was a, because uh, I wasn't sure, because it's, it's, it's another, I mean, not a nothing picture, but it's, to me, it's not going to convince anybody of anything. You know, yeah, it's yeah. It, it's like when I talk about like maybe footprints. I've never found a good clear Bigfoot footprint. Never where you can actually see toes and stuff. I found a few maybe footprints where you look at them and go, maybe that's a footprint. I mean, they're in interesting areas and they they seem like they're you know that's what they are. But I can't. They're not going to convince anybody of anything. That yeah. picture's the same way. It's like if you're a skeptic, that picture's not going to convince you of anything. But if you want to see something there. I guess you're going to see it there. You know what I mean? So, uh, it, you know, people are, are, I guess, open to the idea of this stuff that that picture does tend to sell that book. Yeah. Well, that, that picture is a, is a qualified unknown. Yeah. 
Yeah. That much we can say. Sure. It's anomalous yeah. in some way unless until you can figure out a way to explain it. Mm-hmm. That's definitive and provable. And, and the funny thing is now I don't even bother taking pictures. Really? It's, I just I just don't think you can capture this stuff on camera. So I, I don't even bother. I should. <laughs> uh, I was out with Chad last night. We were doing a haunted bridge thing, and he he got some very compelling pictures of like lights and stuff that we weren't seeing with our naked eye, that were you know showing on his phone. Um, pretty neat stuff. But uh, I just never think to pull out my camera. I always feel like yeah, I'm much more interested in, in recording audio. Oh, okay. So um, the uh, the the curse of Bigfoot was not mm-hmm. something I was fully aware of before reading this book. Yeah, and uh, it, you're talking about people who have Bigfoot encounters and then have incredibly bad luck or die shortly afterwards. Mm-hmm. And this brought to me immediately brought to mind that whole mechanism idea that that time and stuff does not work the way we think it does. So again, if these if these people are experiencing what they're experiencing because something bad is coming. And their, their, their knowledge of that, their sort of unconscious knowledge of that in the past is generating the energy that these things need to exist. That a curse of yeah. Bigfoot makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in the same way, the, the, uh, the, the Mothman as a herald of doom. You know? Right. It's, it's just, again, the, the, it's the event in the future that's generating the energy in the past. It's mm-hmm. not... It's not Precognitive. It's just that time doesn't work in that direction all the time. Like, right. So big emotional yeah. thing is happening in the future. That big emotional thing sends information backwards. We pick up that information unconsciously, and it just becomes stress. It becomes poltergeist energy to some people, and then something like this manifests. Now, we've talked about the the time theory before, and I know like. You, you don't mind talking about it. In fact, you said you, you kind of want to talk about it because you're yeah. not sure when you're going to actually get it down in a book. Right. Have you thought in your way, so, so you know, what we're talking about is is linear time, which is how most people conceive of time, versus nonlinear time, right. generally. Speaking. Yeah. Have you thought, like, of a visual model of what your concept is? I don't know how to visually model that. So, so he, here's the way I, I was thinking, like, because I, I don't believe time is linear. I think, I, think it, I think we organize it that way so we don't go insane, basically. Yeah, right. Uh, um, <coughs> so things but, have meaning. Right. So, so someone, and I forget who, I, this is not original, but you know, I, I read this somewhere. They said, picture, instead of a, a line, picture a ribbon that is folded back on itself again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And, and where, this, where the ribbon touches you know, are like thin spots or where things could bleed through. So, so that's one way I was thinking about it. The other way I was thinking about it is like, maybe it's not a ribbon at all. Maybe it's a big tangled ball of string. Yeah. Just, just all, you know, complete chaos. I, 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 I wonder if you, if you had a, like a visual idea, like, like how, you know, how you would go with it. Just, just into it. You know, we don't know, but just intuitively what I, your thought is. I, I think the way I think about it is being in a lake. And okay. certain events make bigger splashes than others. I mean, because it's also a way of looking at free will. Because mm-hmm. you're going to be drawn toward those things that are making the bigger splashes. Okay. You know, so if it, it's not, it's just in a different part of the lake, which happens to be our future. 
So mm-hmm. the bridge collapsed and the Mothman incident, huge rock gets dropped in the lake for those people. Mm-hmm. And then they get they get hit with the waves of it in the past, which creates this whole Mothman thing out of out of poltergeist energy and everything else. And and it also draws them in that direction. Maybe it's because I'm a visual artist, but to me, when, so when you, when you give a metaphor like that, that helps me understand it a lot more. Like I, ah. you know, what I mean, like I got it before. I got what you were talking about. But to me, that makes it much more, you know, easy to understand when you give a visual like that. So, so okay. I, I enjoy okay. that model. I'll say that's you good know to I mean? know. Actually, what's that? I said that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, as, as you're thinking about like going forward, putting in a book or something, like that might be useful. Um. So, so that you know that when I hear things like Bigfoot curse, I think okay. So when you have weird stuff happening right before something bad happens or shortly before something bad happens. Um, and particularly things that are going to affect someone emotionally. That's, that's where I think, you know, that, that comes into play. Yeah. I mean, and this, this, you know, could apply well to the, like things like the Banshee. For yes. Instance. Oh yeah. yeah. Same yeah. kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I think the Banshee is a, is a really good example of it because, the pers- the people who are experiencing the banshee are usually of the same bloodline, which right. means they might have the same predilection toward uh, either generating poltergeist energy or the way they perceive it. Mm-hmm. Just way, just the same way a culture would perceive something a similar way. Right, right. So that's why they're not. See- you know, they get a, a woman in white, for instance, as the banshee. But a lot of times with the banshee, you don't get a physical apparition. Every once in a while, you do, but a lot of times it's. Uh, audio, it's yeah, po- it's, just, it's, it's poltergeist activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other the other thing that struck me when I was reading the Invisible Bigfoot, let's go back to that, uh, is some of the stuff that happened to me in the Potter's Field on the cliff down in Willard, um, because there was that that thing that was jumping up and down on the other side of the the tree line, shaking the tree. And somewhere in here, you talk about a Bigfoot shaking a tree. And whatever was shaking the tree had to have been huge. Like I said, I thought it was like a buck, mm-hmm. you know, running its horns against it or something because it was a decent-sized tree. Not immovable, but it would take a large animal to move it. And someone, uh, I don't remember who, had suggested, well, maybe it was an invisible Bigfoot. And I kind of just, well, I guess. I mean, I don't know what it was, so I can't say it wasn't. But right. I'm reading some of the stuff in this book, and, like, there's that. You know, and I walked over there, and there was there was nothing. And this was also at the same time that I had been reading the Necronomicon. And then my friends wanted to leave immediately. And I went back up there, and there was something moving along the trees up top, knocking huge branches down. But mm-hmm. I couldn't see anything. And I'm reading through this, and I'm picking up similar things in here that people have experienced, but not necessarily in that direct way. Right. So now right. I'm, I'm wondering if this energy that I encountered was what someone else might have encountered as a Bigfoot. I mean, there are countless tales. I mean, I can't tell you how many reports I personally have taken of people who talk about being paced in the woods by something. They can hear it. Mm-hmm. It's walking right beside them. They can hear it. And it's like, it was in the brush. I couldn't see it. Well, was it? I mean, so a giant, you know, eight foot tall, 1,000 pound thing is walking next to you and you can't see it, you know, it's, there's a lot of that where, where these, these, you know, people be paced out of the woods and never see it, 
never ever see it. It's walking right beside them. They never see it. So you know, very similar kind of thing. And, and whatever it was was heavy, which again is why I was thinking deer, mm-hmm. because they have the hooves that would would shake the ground. I mean, if you had a huge buck, if it's running its horns against a tree and, and its front legs are coming up and down, that's kind of what it sounded and felt like. We could feel the ground shake. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe a buck in rut. I mean, most of the time you got you know, deer generally don't want to be hurt, you know? Well, right, that's, right. But I mean, that was, the other- at the time, that was my explanation. Right. Yeah, because yeah. it had to be something big enough to shake a tree and also shake the ground while it was doing so. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't live where there are lots of large animals. We live where there are lots of deer. Mm-hmm. Except there was no deer. Right. And the other thing, when I was reading your gifting account, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the story about the, the, the gravestone we had up there. I'm not sure. Refresh my memory. So we had, uh, as, and like I said, it was basically a potter's field for the insane people who didn't have, not insane people, but the, the, the patients of the insane asylum that was there that didn't have families. Mm-hmm. And they buried them with a map, but they didn't mark a lot of the graves. Uh, they're st- slowly fixing that now. Um, but at one point, there was a little building, and in the building, they stored all the gravestones because sometimes they'd mark them with little metal markers with numbers on them. That's better than many potter's fields get. Yeah, so not not the whole thing, but some of the older parts had this, um, mm-hmm. and they they knocked this building down, and apparently they left a bunch of the, sto- the metal markers inside. And so after they had knocked the building down, we went up there, and they're like, holy crap, they knocked that whole little building down. And there was a little metal plate tombstone, I forget what the number was, sticking out of the rubble because they took the rubble from the building and then pushed it into like the, the gravel driveway. So they just smashed it to pieces and just kind of like graveled it out into the driveway. So I picked this up and I'm like, well, we got a tombstone out of it. I brought it back to the bench we would sit at, and I kind of tucked it away under the bench. Like, you, couldn't have fa- you wouldn't have been able to find it if you didn't know where it was. Mm-hmm. And one day I went up there, and I went to, to pull it out, and it was gone. And I was like, well, where, where the, who took our gravestone? It's like, who would take our gravestone? I mean, you couldn't really see this place to begin with, and plus this was in a place you wouldn't have been able to reach. Well, you would have been able to reach, but you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to get it unless you knew it was there. So right. you, you would have had to been reaching around under the bench. And uh, so as we were leaving, I'm looking over to the right toward the cliff face or to the cliff drop, and there's the gravestone. And it's sitting in a section cleared out of, of like branches and debris and leaves and stuff with three sticks on each side. Huh. The, the only thing is you couldn't get to it. Like, it was thick foliage all the way around it. It was just by chance I could see it through one of the bushes. And I was like, is that the gravestone? And I'm kind of like pushing away branches. And I'm like, that's the gravestone. And my friend's going, how can that even be there? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to go get it. And he's like, we should leave. And I'm like, no, I'm getting my gravestone. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, you know, it's pre-cell phones or stuff where I could have taken a picture. Um Mm -hmm. But I took it, and I, I walked back over to the bench, and I said, this is ours. Just leave this here. And I tucked it away, and it was there from, from then on. I have it somewhere, but I can't find the thing. Um, but, you know, like with the gifting. <laughs> Do you have it? it well, that's what I'm honestly wondering at this point. 
<laughs> and there's a lot of places I could have put it just to get it out of the way because it's not like something we needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've I've looked and I'm just like I don't know what happened to this thing. It's just gone. Mm-hmm. Hopefully one day I'll, I'll find it and I can get a picture of the. I have it. I have it on video, but I don't have an actual picture of it. Um, but I'm wondering with the gifting thing if there was some connection there of us leaving it there and then it moving to another location. Or how many I, times we in, inadvertently left food or something up there as well? Well, it certainly, you know, it doesn't always have to be food. It can be something that 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 means something to you, or something that that it knows you, you would you would notice. I think. I mean, I, I I tell people to be very careful with it because there are rules expressly put out in folklore about how to do this and. There are reason why you know Bigfoot, quote unquote, Bigfoot goes nuts uh, when people break the rules. It's it's uh, the rules are in the folklore. It, it tells you how to do it and what what to do and what not to do. I've I've broken the rules and I've I've paid the price. I, I really feel that genuinely uh, myself. Um, but so so honestly, so, so like if what? you want if you want to have interactions with the other. Find a place out of out of the way in the woods and start doing gifting. I, the the number of people that it just works for, is um it's amazing and and it's an amazing thing and it's it's full of wonder. It's also can be you know, whatever this stuff is, it's capricious and it can be scary and get weird and get get. You know, like in my case, I had a what I genuinely believe was a rabid raccoon kind of thrown at me for breaking the rules, but. Uh, you know, it can it can get ugly. Um, so, you know, be careful, I would say to people, but I can't tell anyone not to do it because it's so amazing. <laughs> it's like it's so like when when it happens and when things are changing and, and things are getting left there and, you know, you get results and it's just like it's wow. It's just to me anyway, it's just, it's just this incredible feeling of wonder that, you know, something is happening. Something's going on here. And, uh, you know, so I. Again, it works. You know, I don't know what to say. At least for me, it works, and and for other people I know have tried it, it works. So, what 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 are the rules? Um. So, you know, it's, it's kind of laid out in folklore. Um. If if you start giving food, don't stop. Um. So I that's why I recommend people don't uh, don't start giving food because once you start giving food, like don't stop. Same with alcohol. Uh, if, if you do it, you're going to get results, but, but, but you can't stop. Cause then, then, uh, you know, it's not guaranteed bad stuff is going to happen, but it might, things might get scary or, or bad. Uh, don't ask for anything. Uh, I, that's very expressly stated in the folklore. Uh, if you do make sure you take it because it's, it's a very, very, that, I think that was my great offense. I asked for a skull. I got a bloody groundhog head and you know to me it was gross i didn't take it right and uh, a lot of bad stuff happened afterwards um so in general i said don't don't ask for anything and uh, a piece of advice brother richard gave me which i think is is very good is um anything you're given is temporary re-gift it like mm. so so you don't you don't hang on to that forever that's you know take it look at it take it home even oh wow this is neat uh, but then you know, re-gift it somewhere else, like pass it on. It's, it's meant to be kind of passed on, which I think is very, I think it's good advice. So you don't get like sort of obsessive about this stuff. Cause I know, you know very good friends of mine who are, you know, have 
chests full of things that they feel have been left for them. You know, little shards of pottery and little tiny broken toys and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it gets to the point where it's like, is it really healthy to keep all this stuff? What is it? What does it get you? What does it mean? Other than like, this is my stuff. This is my stuff that's been left for me. I, I think it's probably a good thing to like pass it on then, you know, mm. keep it moving. Interesting. So, and there's probably other, other rules I don't know. You know, I haven't read every little bit of folklore in it, but that's, that's, you know, the kind of research I've done. And, and that's where, what I feel are, are the, the, the sort of rules that go with it. So, so when you, when you didn't take the skull, that's when you encountered the raccoon. Yeah. The next, the next time, uh, I went there for any real length of time is, is when I, that I had the rabbit raccoon and, and, you know, tons of synchronicity surrounded that, that day to right. the point where my head was spinning, you know, where I just, I couldn't help but feel like there was meaning to the whole event. And, uh, I, I, I genuinely feel that, that, uh, that was my spanking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, was it aside from the raccoon attack? I mean, which didn't actually harm you. Was there anything because actually? Because my awesome skill with my wizardly powers, I broke its goddamn back. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but I mean, was any of the other stuff that happened bad? <coughs> no, just just unusual. I mean, just this, this is w like one unusual thing after another. Um, mm. And a lot of it, I didn't, I didn't necessarily like parse out at the time. It was only like later I started looking back and going, "Whoa, wait, hold on!" Like, like down to. You know, the night before I would I was doing a podcast with Clint and we were he was literally talking about how to catch a raccoon. Uh, some old like southern folk story about, you know, you put something shiny in a bottle and the raccoon will reach in and, and not let go. Ah. And he'll be he'll be in there in the morning. And that's how that's how you catch a raccoon uh, to uh, we were discussing Seth Breedlove and the park ranger that showed up. His name was Breedlove. I actually talked asked Seth, how common a name is that? He said it's a very uncommon name. And I said, well, you know, we were literally talking about your things the night before, and and here's the park ranger Breedlove shows up. He's like, Seth's like, I have to be related to him. Like, so he, I said, well, I'm not making it up. You can look on York County Parks website. There is a ranger Breedlove. Nice. He's the one that showed up. And, you know, so uh, just this whole like cluster of, of synchronicities, uh, you know, that surrounded it to the point where, like I said, my my head was spinning less from the raccoon attack and more from everything that was going. on. I was like, what is going on? Like, what is, what is this? You know, well, one after another, it was just really, really strange day. And, and I think synchronicities are, are kind of, they're, they're us manipulating our own reality, even if we don't realize we're doing it sometimes, or it can be Perfect. communication from something else. But I, like I was telling you before we started recording, uh, a friend of mine, uh, one of the guys who does the metallic onslaught kept joking that we should we should watch this movie called Dunstan Checks In while we did the Metallic Onslaught. And I'd never heard of this movie. I knew I knew nothing about it. And so I got a copy of it and put it in last week, much to their chagrin, because they weren't totally serious. And it's 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 this movie with like Jason Alexander and Faye Dunaway and this chimpanzee that runs wild in a hotel. It's like a, a family oriented slapstick comedy. Mm-hmm. And so I put it in, and then that was uh, that was Tuesday. We were recording this on Thursday. Today, the guy who had suggested it, Craig, uh, works at a hotel, and he shoots sh shoots me a message saying that a guy named Dunstan just checked in. <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, I think we made that." Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, I cannot tell you a 
a time in my life where I've ever met someone named Dunstan. Right. It's not a common name. What are the chances that Dunstan literally checked in two right. days after we watched that movie? Well, for me, it's it's the kind of thing like uh, like the ghost box stuff where somebody says, well, well, that's you influencing it. I'm perfectly okay with that, and it's no less wonderful to me. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, so if, if, we are, if we are creating these synchronicities, I'm perfectly okay with that, and it's no less wonderful to me. And it, it, it's, it, it might be a mix of things. I mean, it might be mm-hmm. the way something tries to communicate to you because it knows how to manipulate that same reality. Right, exactly. I think this, that reality is a lot more fluid than people give it credit for. You know, hence the whole imaginal realm and stuff that, that people like uh, uh, Patrick Harper talk about. Right, exactly. So I also got, and I'll, I'll put it at the end here, um, I got an EVP, and I don't think I've ever gotten an EVP before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't trying to get an EVP. Uh, so the, the other night... Uh, I don't remember what the date was. It was a Saturday night and uh, I had gone out to get the mail. It was like two in the morning, realized I hadn't gotten the mail that day. And where I live is literally in the middle of nowhere. So it's pitch black out and there's no moon. And I'm looking at this, the entire Milky Way above me. And there's tons of insect sounds to the point where it's almost like blaringly loud. It's almost hypnotic at, at certain levels. And I look up and I see the shooting star and I went, well, that's pretty cool. And then uh, I still have in mind that eventually I want to do this fiction podcast. And some of that's probably going to be stuff taking place outside. So I said I should record. And I've been doing this occasionally. If I get a lot of insect sounds and stuff, I said I should should record, you know, some outside noises. That way, if I'm doing it in the winter or something, I, I will have my own sound. I won't have to go looking, you know, for some free sounds or something on the Internet. And so different spots in the yard, I was uh, recording sounds of these insects. And then I walk back past uh, the, to the back part of the property. And as I come across the area where I can just, where anything in the field, in the backfield could see me, I hear this, bah! and it was loud. And I was like, and I just kind of stopped. And I waited a second, didn't hear anything else, and stopped the recording and turned on the flashlight to make sure there wasn't something right there. But I'm pretty sure it was a fox. I've had mm-hmm. foxes on the yard before. I've had them ye- scream like that before. Uh, actually, I have pictures of baby foxes that were living under the, the scary barn. So as I'm looking for this scream, because again, at the Metallic Onslaught, I relayed that story about the scream and stuff. And uh, one guy goes, so it's on, on recording. And I said, yeah, I should go find it on the recording. So I'm digging through and I and I find and I'm looking listening through the recording. I don't hear the scream and I'm like, well, where, where's the scream? And I go back to the recording right before it because I'm not sure how many I made. And as I'm listening, I have this, and I'm standing in pitch darkness between two buildings on my property, and I just hear this, and I'm like, did I just, did I just hear that? And I rewind it and I'm like. Yep, it's really, really low. It's almost subsonic. And it, it sounds like a very deep, almost like throat singing voice mumbling. Hmm. And it does it twice. And then I stopped the recording. I didn't hear it. And I think this is the first time in my life I could say I actually got an EVP. I wasn't ghost hunting or anything. Right, right. 
But it felt very, very strange out that night. And I actually put that down in my notes when I came in that it just outside had a very odd feeling like there was something there. Hmm. And then I got that. And I, you know, there's no meaning to be ascribed to it. I can't make out any words. Right. And it's very low. And I'll put that, I'll put that at the end here. Actually, I'll, I'll stick it in right here. Right but now, you- so in the in the main part of this show, we were talking about the White Lady of Pondbank. When I interviewed that witness there, uh, and I didn't hear this while we were doing the interview, um, it was March, so this wasn't a bullfrog. It was very cold, early early March. Uh, wasn't a bullfrog or anything like that. Um, the whole interview behind us, as we're talking, I, I, I did not hear this while we were there. You can hear something just like the whole time we're talking. I captured maybe a two seconds, maybe a second and a half of it while we we stopped talking and it, you know, that kept going. Um, I don't, you know, obviously it was Bigfoot. No, I'm just kidding. Who knows what it was in in, in either case. Uh, so you wait, know, you could or couldn't was, hear it when you were there? Could not hear it when we were there. Okay. All right. Didn't hear a thing. Um, but, uh, I tell you, Chad loves to take me back to pond bank at night and make me walk around that damn pond. It's not out in the middle of nowhere. There's a town right there. You can see the lights of the town from the pond. You know, we certainly go into far more remote places than this. I do not like that area at all. And I, I don't know if it's because I don't know why. I don't know. I don't think it's because I caught that whatever it was on tape, you know, I don't, I really don't think it's because of that, but something about Palm Bank just, I, you know, I'll go almost anywhere and I will go there, but I have to make myself like, especially to walk around the pond at night. I have to make myself do it. Very, very creepy area. Huh? Okay. And, and you know, we were, we were talking as well. I don't know if we were talking about this beforehand, but like things like owls. And I mm-hmm. wonder, you know, like it's, it's, you know, Mike Clellan's pointed out that, the owls he's researching are, are not always like paranormal in any sense. They're regular owls. It's just the oddness of their appearance. Right. Right. Well, this is, you know, well, it's like the, the flannel man accounts or the bunny man accounts. It's like a lot of times these could be just normal people, but they sure are showing up at very interesting times out of place. Yeah. And it's, I think it's the same thing with, with these owls. Like uh, the last Site 7 show we did, I was telling you about. I didn't notice this. A, a, a listener, we, I noted like at some point we heard, oh, look, there, they, listen, there's an owl. Like right when we first got there or something, we heard it. But then as you know, we're playing the audio of us you know, being there and seeing the lights and stuff, a, a listener pointed out like the owl, you can hear the owl go off every time right before you see the lights. Now, we didn't, we didn't notice that at the time, but... Uh, Listening back, they were correct. You know, that every time the owl would go off and then then we'd say, oh, look, there's, you know, we're seeing the lights or whatever. Um, And we've noticed lately, too, like a lot of times we'll hear an owl right before we hear something strange or something, you know, unexplained or something. Um, And I think they're perfectly natural owls. You know, I I don't think they're supernatural owls, but uh, they certainly are going off at at an interesting time. And I think... You know, same applies to your fox there. Right, you know, right. Probably a perfectly natural fox, but it sure did take, you know, choose an interesting time to, to sound off. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I wonder, again, if, if we create some of the reality we're in, we're not necessarily always creating weird stuff. Right. We're creating normal stuff in, in circumstances that are meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to say that yeah, we... That- and not to say that there's not an empirical reality out there. I think there is, but I think it's very morphic, especially the less people who are involved in its creation at any given time. Hence, mm-hmm. when you're alone. Right. Yeah, that, that raccoon was a perfectly natural raccoon. You know. It, right. There's nothing unnatural about it. Uh, what was what was unnatural was everything that surrounded that. You know, to me, to, and it's, you know, it's my it's my the way I think about it, my perception. Ask somebody else, like, oh, you just ran into a rabbit raccoon in the woods. You know, that's that. <laughs> yeah, well, some people dismiss anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and I think, you know, life and, and meaning and stuff are, are what you make of it, in a sense. Because um, you can believe you live in a perfectly rational, materialistic world, and there's nothing else to it. And that's what your life is going to reflect to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I do, I do think it, it is often, not always, but it is often these people that, that grasp uh, so tightly to materialism that have these really kind of adverse reactions when, when they are confronted with the other. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, not, not always, but often. It's, it's just like because their world is really shook. You know, it's, they cannot make sense of this at all. Because it doesn't fit. This stuff doesn't fit in that at all. I'm trying to think of who it was. It might have been Aaron Daba who had made the comment that life, like our lives aren't like stories, you know, like they don't, they don't proceed like stories, but sometimes we create a story around them. And I'm like, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think that they do sort of proceed like stories. Some of them have more going on than others. But I, I, I think there I think there is some intrinsic meaning there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've often said that, you know, at some point in my life, and I don't know whether that was when I was five years old or, or fifteen, I can't tell you exactly. I I decided that I want to live a life of symbol and meaning. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look for that, you know? Right. And uh to me it's a more exciting, more interesting and more fascinating way to live. Uh even if I'm wrong sometimes, you know, let's so say sure. maybe, maybe some, you know, maybe some of these things are coincidences that I'm saying are synchronicities, but in the end, to me, it's a more satisfying way to live. You know, if, if it's a, you know, if I'm wrong about it being a synchronicity and it's just a coincidence, so be it. Uh, it doesn't make my life more interesting. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. If you're wrong, it doesn't take the meaning away from it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think these things are very individualistic. But in, in noting so many things that have happened in my life, when I look at it in a grander view, it's like, no, there is kind of a story progression here. Yes, I, I, I think the problem with, at least with, for my part, so when I'm trying to, like, when I was writing Don't Look Behind You, for instance, I'm writing finally writing about, like, my experiences. Right. These, these aren't linear. Like, so the, the raccoon ties in with other stuff and you have you, to sort of tell the tale and make, get the meaning across. You have to go, but wait, you know? Yeah. Two days before that, this happened. And if I told you that first, it wouldn't have the same impact as if, you know, 
so I have to go back and forth and jump around. And it's I say it's it's a cobweb. It's not you know it's not a nice clean line. Right. It's a big tangled cobweb. So I I do find it difficult to, to sometimes tell the stories in a very linear fashion. I I was contacted by um uh some one of those storytelling shows on NPR and they're they're like we want you to you know come on and it's you know spooky stories or something mm-hmm. and I'm talking to the producer and I'm I'm telling this story about you know the gifting and Hex Hollow and. And the, you know the raccoon and and seeing weird owls and and asking for antlers and getting owl owl tails you know <laughs> after reading Mike's book and and how you know never saw an owl before and I start seeing owls and and all this stuff and the the producer you know at some point just stops me she's like I don't know what to do with this I'm like I, you know she's like it's she's like it's it's crazy but I don't know what to do with it I was like yeah it's not a nice linear story you have to bounce around. And they you want know, something it, simple for that audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want a nice, clean, linear story, and I, I get that. Like they, because they want it. You know, they have a, a certain amount of time. They need to tell the story in that, and they're probably going to have three stories on the show. And they want a nice, clean, linear. And I just couldn't. There's yeah. no way to tell it in a, in that way unless I, unless I move things around in in the way they didn't happen to make it linear. You know right. what I mean? I had a. At some point, had someone ask me if I would come on and tell tell them, you know, they they were doing like a scary stories type of show. I I don't know what it was for anymore. I don't remember, uh, but some big thing that they and I said I don't really have any scary stories. I'm like not the kind you're looking for anyway, mm-hmm. because mine are a in depth. You know the things that happen, but they're also not like I guess the way I tell them is is just kind of like this is what happened. Yeah, well, that's the other thing this NPR producer was like. She was like, well, you don't seem very scared. I said, well, I wasn't necessarily scared. I was more amazed and kind of, like, taken aback. And, right. And, you, you know, it's hard to say I was scared. You know, she was like, well, I don't know what to do with this. And result is I didn't get on the show, obviously. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it, it's it's like, well, yeah, I know what you want, but I'm not, you know, it's not necessarily like I was uh Screaming with fear when, when you know, <laughs> I left a little bottle of liquor and it was gone and then it re- reappeared again. It's not, I wasn't terrified by that. I was amazed by that. Right, you know? right, right. And, and I think, too, that that, that type of storytelling where I, where I understand why people like to be scared and stuff, but it, it, it paints the wrong picture of what this stuff really is. And I think when people do encounter it, they, they react like what, how they think they're supposed to react. By being terrified of it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which then just leads to more terrifying encounters because it sort of seems to reflect whatever energy it's given. Yeah, often. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that's another thing that you know says it's being co-created by us. It may there may be an other there, but I think it utilizes the energy that we don't consciously know how to control. That same energy right. that creates things like poltergeists. And so if that if that energy, which is often probably emotional, is fear or anger or something like that, that's how the phenomena is what that's what what it has to, to manifest to us. So we, we were at a place last night um, that's uh, attributed to the suicides, right? We're, oh. we're attributed there and supposedly there's all this negative, you know, negative spirits, ghosts, et cetera. Because these these suicides supposedly occur there, um, so you know me, I'm a big like 
check the records guy mm-hmm. and and let's see. And and I could find no records of any suicides at this place. Just they're just not there. I mean, if if they occurred, they're not in the records. Let's put it that way. Um, and and it's the kind of thing where they would be in the paper. I, it'd be very very unusual for for that not to appear in the paper for there to be suicides in this location and and it not be noted anywhere it would be very very unusual. So, but people and indeed when we were there, kind of experienced some pretty negative stuff. Now, mm. could that be all that energy people put into it? Just the idea. Right. Of that, yeah, for years, for years and years and years, that that's you know, that's that's what people put into that area. You know, maybe maybe that's all it, it is. I don't know. Or the energy of the place. I mean, some places seem to have more of a negative vibe than others. Yeah, yeah, this definitely has that for sure. I mean, there are plenty plenty of places I've been in that have a very oppressive vibe, and I mm-hmm. don't think it's. Because people went there expecting it for it to have an oppressive bride. The the graveyard in Ithaca, there's a spot that sometimes feels perfectly fine. And other times, it literally feels like there's something staring at you, wanting you to leave. Like you just get this overwhelming feeling of you're not wanted here. Mm -hmm. And, And again, this is also right by running water, too, in the middle of a graveyard. Right. So that that spot in particular, you know, this this is an area that that is said to be a power spot. Is oh, what did they say? Third most powerful spot on the planet, according to uh, the the uh, there's an Eastern temple. I forget the name of it. Like a block away, you know, there's running water going through this graveyard that's from like the 1700s. It's one of the earliest graveyards in the area, probably built on a sacred spot. And, you know, you have this, this oppression there occasionally, mm-hmm. as well as lights and shadows and, and all kinds of other stuff. Always lights. Yeah, lights are the most common. The most common thing you will see there is lights. I, well, I mean, across the board with paranormal phenomena. Yeah. That's, well, I'll bring, people, you know. I'll bring people up there and, you know, I'll notice the lights and I won't say anything because they're very subtle. Mm-hmm. But they're literally like different colored, primary colored lights, small ones moving through the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And it's not in an area where there's any other lights. And eventually they'll say something like, what are these lights I keep seeing? Well, that was, uh, so the last time we went to Site 7, I took John, who is, you know, he calls himself a ecological skeptic or something. He's always looking for natural explanations for, for the weirdness I'm I'm encountering or, or feel I'm encountering in the woods and and. I'm not mad about that. These, these are these are you know I said like I'm glad my wife's a skeptic. It's this is very valuable to have skeptics. You know, oh like yeah, open-minded skeptics. You know, not not the capital S skeptic who's right, who's right. Like oh, it's all bunk. But but open-minded skeptics are are very valuable to have. Uh, so I don't mind this at all. And I was very eager to take John there. And it took a while. It, it usually takes a while. So you have to stand around for a while. And he's like, I don't know, I, I think I'm seeing something. And Chad was with us, and, and Chad knows what to look for. And he's like, like there they are. And John's like, I, I don't see him, I don't see him. And sometimes it takes, like I said, it takes a minute. But I told John, I was like, you're not, you're not going to question it. When you see it, it's not going to be the kind of thing like, oh, is that it? You know, am I really seeing something? I was like, you, you will know when you see it. And uh, I was very happy he did, he did after all get to see him. And, and he was pretty amazed because he couldn't explain it. 
and uh, kind of left the area with a with a big old smile on his face because he's, he's like, <laughs> "Wow, you know, I don't know what that was." Uh, so, um, and yet every time I'm with you, there's no lights. <laughs> Although there was well, that rock that pinged off your car the one time. Yeah, yeah, um, we definitely had that. That coyote came real close to us. Yes, talk about your. You're, uh, but he came right up on us and 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 yelped, uh, gave that that warning thing they do, <laughs> scared the pants off. Him. And yeah, but, uh, and you you let out a string of obscenities. <laughs> <laughs> In my defense, that was that was a few months after the raccoon. I was I was a little on edge about about that. Yeah, and uh, and it had been dead quiet for like what an hour. Yeah, and then yeah. this really loud yelp comes out. <laughs> Now I, I we also we also had we also that had was the, in March, right? When what was that? Uh, I don't remember when it was. I think it was March because I think you came in March and then Josh came in April and you came back down. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, February is the time where I always go, and and they're dependably there. Um, they should be there in March. But I was talking to a guy in Pittsburgh, in, in the Pittsburgh area, who's who sees these. From his description, very, very similar lights right across the street from his house. So he's out all night long, can see these things all night long, and, and they behave in the same way. But he said, like, there's certain times they're just not there. And he said, for him, it's like December, like mid-December through mid-January or something like that. I forget the actual you know time, but it's, right, it's a good right. chunk of time. And he said, they're just not there. He said, I thought they were gone. I thought they were, you know, they were gone and not coming back. And they just weren't there. So that does happen out there at Site 7. Uh, and I don't know whether we just hit it at that time or or what. But um, to me, the the feeling of it was very different, too. It, it just it felt dead and drained out there. Right. We did we hear that weird plane. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I heard the plane. You didn't, which made it even weirder. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was really audible on the recording. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, it's, it sounds weird there anyway, that there's like, you know, you're on top of, technically that's a mountain we're on top of there. It's the, you know, really a, a large hill, but it's technically a mountain. Um, and just sound just comes up that, that mountain. It's like the, the, uh, the train from across the river sounds like it's sometimes like it's right there in the woods, like 10 feet away in the woods. And it's, it's all the way across the river, you know, a good, uh, I don't know, I guess a mile, mile and a half away. That- and, uh, it sounds, you know, so sound is different there. It's, it's weird. It's, it's funneled. I mean, I think it's a natural yeah. thing. I don't think it's a supernatural thing with the sound. It's just naturally funneled in a weird way. That, well, yeah. I think that was my suggestion, but then we realized if it was funneling a, a plane, that sound went on for like, what, 15 minutes? Yeah, that was a really weird thing. Cause, you know, it was too long. Like it should have, it should have, like it had a Doppler effect kind of thing come and went. Yeah. The, uh, I've, I've heard a train here, and there's no trains nearby. Uh, and honestly, the f- I have to admit, the first thing I thought when I heard it was, I think the first time I heard it was after my dad had passed away, and he was big into model trains. And I uh-huh. had come up to my back door, and I went to unlock it, and I heard a train. And I'm like, why am I hearing a train? Like, there's no trains here anywhere. And so I went in, and I, you know, it's, it went away, and I, I went inside, and I looked up. I'm like, is there a train I'm not aware of? The nearest train is across the lake uh, on the other side. Like, I'm, I'm near the top of the hill, 
So if you continue over the top of the hill and then go all the way down to the lake and then to the other side of the lake, there's a there's a train track there. Mm. And I'm like, did the sound travel like 30 miles? Was it conditions just right that it like bounced that like off the lake and up over the hill? And I've only I know, I mean, sound does come across water pretty well. Well, that's it. I've heard it a total of maybe three times ever. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, trains aren't going to be running all the time either. So maybe the sound exists a lot more, but I'm just not in the right place to hear it. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing with something like that, though. You can't really, it's hard to determine a source. I mean, I could tell you it was a, it was a train sound, no doubt. There was no, no mistaking it. But where or why I was hearing it, I don't know. Well, it was obviously Bigfoot driving a ghost train. <laughs> Duh. Actually, in volume two, I do have this this pretty uh, funny, amazing account of uh, Bigfoot uh, train hopping. Huh. It's a, it's a the guy who uh, somebody told him he, Bigfoot was riding trains. This Bigfoot researcher, he thought the guy was crazy. He goes out to meet this guy in the woods by these train tracks and. At some point during the day, this train goes by and he's watching. He's like, I'm telling you, there's something big and hairy was sitting on this damn train, had its head down. He said, I couldn't see its face because it had its head down, but it was like riding on this train. Great, great account. Great account. I think that was um, Stan Courtney. I think it, I, it was his account. Ah. Huh. It seems like there was something else I was going to mention about Site 7. I mean, it's really too bad that Sites 1 through 6 exploded. <laughs> yeah, the the Illuminati was done with them, and, ah, and I uh, see, <laughs> just made them disappear. Um, now there was something about lights. Uh, see, the, the, when I was there, that stone hit your truck. You know, like that's not to me. That's not enough weirdness. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just that one thing. I don't know how a stone would hit your truck anyway. You know, short of being thrown or so, or being like uh, like if a car had gone by and, and kicked it up off the ground. Right. But at the same time, it's not enough for me to say that that's not something that could have occurred naturally with an, an absence of any other weirdness, you know? Right. Well, and the, you know, the, the sad and frustrating thing is you did get to see the lights very, very briefly. Yeah. You're like flashlight. You were just like, I, it wasn't, an, and I, I, I get it. It's not enough. You know, it's not enough. They were like little quick streaks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what we had done last time is it's a long hike. It's, it's a kind of a brutal hike, but we came in from the riverside and went all the way up that mountain and stood in the woods, mm. where basically where we thought we were seeing the lights, and uh, boy, did we get a show there. Now really? I, I thought. Things were going to be a lot scarier there. I don't know. We had four people. One of them was a, a woman. I don't know if it's because of the, the different energy, uh, but it was a very playful feeling. It was very, very positive, very, very, uh, you know, just kind of almost fun, positive night, uh, you know, with, with these lights. Again, you know, John was a total skeptic and he saw plenty of them and they came right up to us. Like at one point he was kneeling. He, he dropped to his knees and tried to grab one. That's how close they were. Um, do they go on the and only, off? What's that? Do they go on and off? They do. Okay. They do. And oddly enough, like when they're off in the woods, they seem to be, you know, I would guess softball size or bigger. Uh, sometimes even maybe 
larger than that, maybe maybe beach ball size, although eh, maybe soccer ball size sometimes. But when they came up to us, they were they were ping pong ball size at, at biggest, hmm. you know. And and there was one time, and you talk about perception. There was one time where John said he saw a ping pong ball size light. I was looking at the same light because it you know was in the same place. I only saw what looked to me like like a, a pin light, like just a like a like one single LED. That's what it looked like to me. And he was seeing something the size of a ping pong ball. So were you seeing it from the same angle? We were not. We were, oh. I was off to his side. So does that make a difference? I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Because it- other times we were, we would agree. We would agree, like, oh uh, yeah, that's, that's ping pong ball size or quarter sized or you know whatever. Yeah. But this one time, and I, I remember thinking like that's not what I'm seeing at all. Uh, but you know, if that's perception or or angle, I don't know. Interesting. Still want to see these when I'm there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, and and I have this uh, standing invite from that guy in Pittsburgh because I want to see if if what he's seeing is the same thing I'm seeing. So uh, he's he said he, you know he's invited me to come out to his place and see him, and and I've invited him to come here and see him because I'm very curious to see. The combinations of people are interesting with this stuff. Yes, like, yes. Like, so the second time we were there with Josh, Josh fully will say, "I'm, I'm, uh, you know, paranormal." I, uh, what's he call himself? Paranormal. Uh, whatever. Anyway, he basically says he paranormal Locks stuff it. doesn't happen around. Yeah, him he kills yeah. it. Uh, maybe you know. Uh, because it did feel sapped. It really, really felt sapped. Yeah, yeah. And he he wanted like the devil to just go out everywhere with me. Um, he, like he wanted to go to Hex Hollow at night and all this stuff. And and it's just like I was basically I was tired. We were coming home from Rhode Island. I was I was too tired to do it. But he wanted to go out that night. I was like, nah, man, I I can't. That's it's not a good idea. But anyway, if you approach it with the idea that you are not going to see anything that that you are kryptonite. That's because it's a paranormal kryptonite. That you are paranormal kryptonite. Does that, in a sense, you know, feed into it or 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 drain out of it? In other words. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know. Uh, like with the with the graveyard in Ithaca, it takes a while. Sometimes you got to kind of just sit there and be patient. And there's mm-hmm. there's one spot in particular I've noticed, which is above the spot where you feel the oppression. It's this big circle of trees with one tombstone, one huge monument in the middle. And if you stay there for a little bit, usually across where the the stream and stuff is, on the other side is where you'll start seeing the lights most of the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll see shadows moving around the outside of this circle of trees. And when I brought Rojan up there the first time at night, you know, he's live streaming from it, and and he's like, I don't see anything. And I'm like... You need to like just quiet, quiet. <laughs> you're too, you're too loud. You know you got to stop and just wait. <laughs> I don't think this stuff responds well when you're you know making a ton of noise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, I mean, well, that's why I don't. You know, I don't get where people are hooting and hollering and banging on trees. And I mean, sometimes I guess they get responses. Sure. But, uh, We've had much more just go out in the woods and be quiet and be there. Yeah. You know? The uh I mean the 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 one time uh 
me and my one ex were walking along, and I've told the story a while ago. We were walking through that graveyard in Ithaca, and we were going to meet some other people, and we were walking with another friend of ours, and we literally got surrounded by those lights. Like they mm-hmm. were swarming around us like insects. They were about mm-hmm. the size of insects, and they were all multicolored. And she looks at me, and she goes, are you seeing this? Because it was just, it was astounding, you know? Like it's not, it was way beyond the, the any kind of subtlety. They were very obvious. And I'm right. like, yep. And I looked to my other friend, and I said, are you seeing this? And he's like, seeing what? And I said, the lights. He's like, what lights? And it's like, okay, well, the two of us are definitely seeing it. Why are you not? And then when we got close to where our other friends were, we heard one of them say, you know, say, you know, call out to us, and the, the lights literally just shot off into the, like, away from us. Never had anything like that happen since. But it's yeah, just. Well, I, well, that's the other thing. Like, so it's. They kind of act the same, but they kind of act different every time we're there. Yeah. I, you know, it's. I know where to look for them. I know where they're going to appear, but how they're going to act, you know, sometimes we've seen them look like. The way, best way I can explain it is somebody juggling flashlights if you couldn't see the, where the actual, like, Beam source of the beam was you know what I right. mean? So you couldn't see the actual flashlight just the beam uh it looked like that like somebody juggling flashlights was that kind of fast and extreme and, and bizarre and and kind of other times they're very subtle and huh. and you know they, they move but not very much and you know it's weird and but the last time like did you, when they were around you did you get the impression that i so we got the impression they were almost like curious when they were coming up to us that's kind of what we all agreed on. Well, I, th- I think th- when that happened, I think the, the, the my girlfriend and I at the time felt that something was interacting with us. Mm-hmm. Like something something was playing, you know, being playful. Right. Um, the there was something else. Oh, when you, when you mentioned juggling flashlights, I mean that makes me think of the the sparkler thing I saw in my driveway, where I had pulled into my driveway one night and. I don't. I have it in my notes somewhere, but I pulled it in my driveway, and I can't remember if that's where my 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 dad might have had it like closed off with pylons because it was too muddy, mm-hmm. you know. So we would I'd have to get out, move the pylons, and get back in, the, you know, and then pull the car through, and then put the pylons out because he didn't want customers to his hobby shop pulling in, and getting stuck in the mud. Right. So I think this was that time period, and like I I pulled into the driveway, and I get in the car. And, like, on the right side of the driveway, I just see all these lights sort of start up, and they, they literally look like a, a tumbleweed of sparklers. And they huh. rolled like a tumbleweed from left to right across the, the driveway, got to the other side, and then just dismissed and went out. And, again, never saw anything like that. Right. And at the time, I just went, well, that was something. And, again, lights... Uh, on the, on the property again was uh, we had gotten back from an overkill show, me and my friend Dave, and we're sitting in the car for a moment. The car's off, and we hear a yell that just went on for like ten seconds and then stopped with any like without any decay or fade or anything like that. It was just mm-hmm. that, uh, and but it sounded like someone yelling. And then we get out of the car, and I start walking toward the house, and I'm under this huge tree, and I see like red, red, green, and blue lights 
almost like from a kaleidoscope on the ground. Hmm. And again, like there's, there's no sense really to make of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean the only thing we can say about lights is they appear across the board with right. all this phenomena, right? Like no matter what it is, you get, I mean, not all the time, but often you get lights with ghosts, you get lights with UFOs, you get lights with, with Bigfoot, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that was my, one of my initial statements was, uh, when I was starting to look at this stuff comparatively was if you see a light in the sky, it's an alien, but if you see a light in the, in a house, it's a ghost. And in the woods is Bigfoot. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think that's before I realized that Bigfoot was so associated with lights too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so something that used to happen to me years ago that doesn't anymore is usually around springtime, I would see small shadows race out into the road or around me when I was walking out at night. And they were like darker than dark shadows. And I always just, I started to associate them with nature spirits because it would always be in the spring. And they weren't animals. They, they, they were a very distinct thing. Um, and I don't see them anymore. And I don't know if maybe it's because I don't spend as much time in nature or my perception has changed or whatever that was isn't communicating like that anymore. But like I, I would see it regularly enough to note what time of year it was happening. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, I also had an experience where I was with, I was actually arguing with this girl I knew outside her house like, not a serious argument. It was just like, I forget what it was. It was something stupid. And all of a sudden, these things just keep started running by us. And she finished whatever she was saying, and then she just stopped and went, did you just see that? And I'm like, what? She's like, shadows just ran by us like little animals. And I'm like, yep, saw it. <laughs> But I think that's the only time I had confirmation of somebody else being there when I saw it. But again, the fact that it only happened in spring, you know, like why, why, why the timing? Was it trying yeah. to convince me it was a nature spirit? Was it something waking up because it's spring? Is it symbolic of something? Is it me interpreting that way because it's spring? I have no answers. No, neither do I. <laughs> Just weird experiences. Right. And like I said, that that's one that I got validated because it happened with someone else and someone else who didn't know I had that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are the best. Uh, Chad actually found an old book of folklore that mentions the area of Site 7. Oh, really? And Yeah. Oh, yeah. And story after story of weird lights. People seeing. There, so there were houses back there that were, yeah, I guess at this time they were abandoned. And... Uh, the people were talking about seeing blue lights in these houses. Huh. And, and so it's, you know, weird light phenomenon has been associated with the area. And, and, uh, in general, like this, just, uh, it was a weird place to go, I guess, you know, now you said you had a magnetic map of the area. Mm-hmm. Does site seven, is it more magnetic? Is it, is there an anomaly there? There are magnetic anomalies. At Site 7, there is a magnetic anomaly that follow, literally follows Toad Road to the river. There's a huge magnetic anomaly that dips down from the Tuscarora State Forest where Pandemonium is, follows the South Mountain uh, mountain chain down almost uh, all the way through Michaud Forest. And there's another magnetic anomaly that's, that's just 
plop right over uh, Hex Hollow. So all of these places I talk about have magnetic anomalies associated huh. with them. Do you and, have? And this is this is something a listener of my podcast sent me. I didn't like. I didn't come up with this and think to you know this is. He sent me the like. Here's a magnetic anomaly map. You might be interested in this. Of and I looked. At, it was uh, most of South Central Pennsylvania, I think, and part of Maryland. And sure enough, like all of these places had magnetic anomalies. Were with them. were there er any areas that were like uh, where there were lots of experiences that didn't have uh, anomalies? I mean, as as far as the places that that I've been, you know, I'm I'm sure there were little blips of haunted houses. Oh, and, sure, sure, okay. but I mean, like bigger areas. Yeah, well, I'm thinking. Okay, maybe Chickie's Rock. I think didn't have that. So that's that's okay. the area you know across the uh, the river where the Albert Witch is, and there's a bunch of ghost stories there, right? And so forth. I I don't think that did, but I'd have to recheck to be sure. Um, I mean, it feels it feels like what we're doing is collecting a puzzle piece for a puzzle we don't know how many pieces there are to. A thousand percent, <laughs> a thousand percent. You know, and. This is the kind of like information that I think is valuable, but I also don't think I'm necessarily the guy to do anything with it. You know, I'm I'm know. Way, I'm I'm way more of the guy to just just put me out there and let me add my own experiences to everyone else's, and and I'll tell you what I feel and what I think. Well, I, I think it's super interesting, and it's you know that magnetic anomaly information is going to be very valuable to somebody who knows what to do with it, but. I, you know, other than saying it's there, I don't know, you know, where to go from there with it. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and, and frankly, if 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 I had to look at the the phenomenon through that scope and that scope alone, like, you know, what's the geology like, and are there magnetic anomalies, and what are the weather patterns, uh, I would be bored to tears, honestly. <laughs> That's like, it's just not what the way I want to approach it. Sure, sure. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to end it. So uh, thank right. you for sticking around, Tim. Sure thing. No problem. You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.